What if everything you're searching for is already inside of you? Hi, I'm Cassandra Goodman, and I believe that true power comes from staying connected to who we really are at our core. This is a podcast about what it means to stay true to ourselves and why authentic leadership is such tricky business. You'll hear inspiring real life stories from big hearted leaders. I hope these stories help you to remember that true power comes from within. So today on True Power, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Dion. Now I've, I've been pra- pronouncing, uh, practicing your surname, Dion. It's Dion Stoistavlovich. Did I get that right? It's, it's pretty good. Pretty good for a <laughs> year. Wonderful. So I like it. Dion and I met, uh, must have been maybe a couple of months ago now. We connected on LinkedIn and we met over a coffee here in St Kilda and we realised pretty quickly that we we have a lot in common in terms of our passion for authentic leadership, helping leaders to be the best they can be. Um, and Dion brings us a wonderfully curious mindset about what does it really mean to be true to ourselves and We've had some really rich conversations about how tricky that is in in real life. So, so Dion is the co-founder and vice principal at AI Cubed Academy. And AI Cubed has a vision to provide a unique educational foundation for the next generation of innovators and leaders in artificial intelligence, software, robotics, engineering, and design. So welcome, Dion. What else do you think is important to share about you and your background before we get started? Um, thanks, Cassandra. Um, yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for the, the great intro. Um, so it's been a really interesting journey to get to this point, and I think it, it wasn't really a well-tracked-out career path. Things kind of evolved, and I guess there is... Um, some semblance to the the design thinking process I like to talk about as you kind of don't have a clear, you have a goal, but you don't um, have a really clear um, object. You have an objective, you don't have a clear goal. And things kind of just evolved and moved from one to another. And when you asked me to, to speak and I looked back kind of through the Rolodex of career, I, I realized there actually was a pattern. And for me, I always identified myself as a technologist um, you know, quite quite geeky in a way, you know, coming, spending 15 years at Intel, which was a, you know, silicon manufacturing company. But then I started to really think what what was I doing in all of those roles? And a lot of it was education, either went through retail, consumer, you know, government. There was always some some way of demystifying technology and connecting it with people. And when I look back even further, I realised, you know, both of my parents were teachers, Um which so it's probably a little bit of osmosis in, in that. And then you know, I looked at even the mission statements of the companies I worked for, like, like Intel's mission statement was to create and extend computing technology to connect and enrich the lives on, of every person on earth. So that, you know, that it's a lofty goal. And, you know, after Microsoft, it was to empower every person on the planet to achieve more. So, you know, they're really broad, but they connect really back to the humanity of people. And so, you know, when I started to think about that, what I'm doing now is probably not that far removed from, you know, where I where I started out. I love that. I love this theme of education and demystifying technology that emerged kind of retrospectively 
as you look back over your career. So maybe just share a little bit more about your organization today, because when you told me a bit about what you do over coffee, I was so uh, intrigued and, and um, so impressed with with the work that you're doing with young people to help them, uh, to help set them up for success in the future. So tell us a li- little bit more about AI Cubed and what you do there. Well, we, uh, I love what we do and I'm glad you're excited because I'm really excited about what we do too. And I, I guess, you know, a number of years ago, uh, I was actually approached by the founder, um, Charlie Cheng, who we, we worked together previously and identified that there was obviously a real growth in the importance of technology and huge opportunities, um, you know, predictions of where the workforce is going to go, obviously impacts of AI and things like that. And um, while largely we don't, we can't really predict where everything's going to go, but when we started to look at the patterns, we realized that if you, if you strip away the top layer of technology, the methodologies that are driving a lot of this have been quite consistent for a long period of time. And so we, we started looking more at the methodologies and we were, we were fascinated by those. And so we started adopting a couple, each one aligned with a different career path. Um, and each one really, I guess, um, appealing to different, um, you know, kids, different mindsets um, to their kind of their natural curiosity. And we wanted to, first of all, make it really engaging. So the first pillar we kind of talked about was if it's not joyful, um, if it doesn't actually bring out joy in what you do, then it's really difficult to get heavily invested to want to just keep exploring and being curious, especially for kids that have access now to so many different, you know, opportunities. So that's kind of where we started. And then we kind of started to look at the idea of how technology was being taught at an early age was quite like, it it was really like a quite a vertical look. It was looking at it um, from a very technical perspective and it would alienate a lot of people who weren't necessarily interested in that, particularly, you know, girls at a younger age weren't as excited. And we kind of thought there is a, there should be a better way that we can approach this. So it's a lot of what we do is project-based. It's based around thinking rather than technical skills, where we, we teach kids how to decompose, um, define problems before they start to... Um, do a lot of research, even really young kids, we're, we're teaching how to do research before they build a robot to understand the application before they look at the technology. And we've got kids now all the way up to, you know, 14 to 16 who are building, you know, human-sized robots competing in global competitions, which are, you know, just mind-blowing. So, yeah, it's very cool. exciting. And you shared over coffee that you recently uh, supported a group of students to win a competition against, was it university, university students? So, yeah, we've got a lot of really high achievers. So um, we did win, but we we beat out a lot of higher placed, um, higher funded um, and, and much older teams. And that has actually been consistent with us right from our real early beginning. So one of our first um, successes, we had a student who I think was only 10 or nine or 10 at the time. And she came second in a, a RoboCup competition. And there was a great photo of her in the podium, you know, this small nine-year-old with a puffy jacket and then these high school seniors with their their, their, their suits on looking a little bit disgruntled that she was higher than them. <laughs> Love it. 
I love it. You know, having two young boys myself, you know, the the sheer brilliance of these young people. And I think what I what I so love about what you're doing, Dion, is you kind of it feels like you're unshackling this brilliance of young people and and um really providing flexibility around their thinking and um you know, delaying what what seems to happen in lots of educational systems, which is kind of the standardization of thinking or the constraining of thinking, or you know, you do it this way, or you must, you know, learn in this 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 sequence of um, modules. Or yeah, you know, it really strikes me that you're unshackling and really um, protecting and amplifying the brilliance of these young minds, so that they can have the impact they want to have in the world. I think it's really extraordinary. Well. It's so. So thanks again. That's exactly our goal. And I think there's there's still a lot of value in traditional education, and they they do a lot of things we don't do. Um, and there has been a shift. You know, we we work with some schools, and there's some brilliant schools out there who are really motivated to try and change how they do things. But the, you know, there's a difficulty in measuring the outcomes of some of these in in an existing environment where funding kind of trickles down through ticking a box. Mm-hmm. And you know, the value in letting kids have a have a structure uh, and, a, and a safe structure where they can fail um, in a nurturing environment and then understand why they failed and then very quickly, um, you know, reflect on that and then try again. Just there's something in that that when when kids unlock a success that way, it's it means 10 times more than if you showed them an answer. And that is something that gets me really excited and that's a, you know, incredibly fulfilling part of part of the role seeing kids and, and their parents talk to me about the the success that they're having yeah so wonderful that's just just incredible I can I can just sense when you speak about the work you do how meaningful it is and and um I think it's really extraordinary the impact you're having on so many young people I'm very keen to get my two boys along to one of your robotics events as soon as I can uh and we'll so- get them there Wonderful. So, you know, you've listened to some of my podcasts, Dion, so you know the key question. I know you've been reflecting on this question. You know, you you strike me as, as a leader today who's pretty clear on um, your calling and, and this um, thread throughout your working life of educating and demystifying. But maybe you could take us back to a time in your career or your working life or just your life in general when you realise that you drifted away from who you really were when you kind of had this realization that perhaps you weren't really being true to yourself. Are you able to share um, an example of when you've been in, in that experience? Yes, absolutely. And in, and in fact, it was a question that I found really hard for a while because um, not because there wasn't one, but there's was probably too many <laughs> to choose from, but it was actually when I listened to, um, I think it was uh, Mia uh, Boya. Um, yes. And she she gave a fantastic story. I was you know really captivated by it, and it made me think of a couple of couple of things. And and her story was about finding herself, identifying you know who who she was. And I think for a lot of my my career, my professional career, I really identified myself by my role, and that that was who I was. And I found it um, it meant that I really craved a lot of validation from doing that. Um, and, you know, there's probably a, a, an unhealthy amount of ego and that then crept into personal, you know, life as well, needing that validation 
you know, success all the time, which is not a really sustainable way to live because life's full of ups and downs and you can't always want to be on the up. And when the ups weren't happening, you'd, you'd, I'd have to kind of artificially manufacture them. Uh, I'd throw myself in scenarios, in events. I'd, I'd love to speak. I'd love to feel important. And while sometimes I think I, I did it for the right reason, it, it wasn't always. And it wasn't until I looked back at understanding those patterns, you know, the awareness didn't come for much later, uh, much later. But I think the key moment for me was um, I was working for an organisation in 2016 and 17 that was really um, sustainability focused. Uh, they were very entrepreneurial, um, very innovative, some some brilliant people. It was, a, it was a private company, not a public company. And they gave me a, a, a long, um, you know, very generous leash to, you know, explore a lot of different things. And we, through that, we actually won the Sustainability Award, Victorian Premier Sustainability Award 2016, which was a real proud moment for our whole team, actually. And it galvanised a lot of people that necessarily didn't come there to work about with sustainability. They were technologists. And the impact that that made on how all of that team immediately um, saw the issue was 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 amazing to me. It was really moving that people actually changed their value system. It wasn't just, uh, it, it was actually, it was a lot, suddenly they're in a business that could be aligned to their values, which was exciting for me. And so, um, so then while that sounds all great, I started to, again, that in a way is addictive being, having that success, seeing people react. And so um, when I got an opportunity to work for Microsoft, um, who are a great company, and there was a lot of amazing people I worked with there, they're obviously wildly successful. Um, it, it was very alluring because it felt like it completes the CV of you know really big big name brands. And so, so I think I, I made a decision to go there based on ego rather than, um, you know, and, and maybe, you know, financially rather than what was spiritually making me successful. And what I've really kind of looked at, and it's a bit of a model that we run our current business on, is, you know, you don't seek that the goal of a business is not to seek out money. It's to seek out, you know, executing correctly on your values and your mission and once you do that, then other successes come. And, you know, I was doing that. Things were great. And, you know, it coincided then to really I was off kilter. Uh, I struggled. You know, I heard um, Kelly King talk about feeling stress and pressure, you know, in your podcast in a, in a role, which I definitely felt and, and some people are accustomed to and can deal with. And, you know, I wasn't at that time. Personally, my life was um, really challenging as well. I had a relationship breakdown, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, handle it anymore. So, I made a, a decision to change, and I consulted with someone who was kind of a bit like a spiritual guide for me for a while. And after, and it was the first person that I could actually speak really honestly to about everything that was going on in my life. And when I told them and laid it out. Um, they were like, what are you doing? You've got to make a change. <laughs> this is, you can't keep going. So I actually decided to leave and I had nothing to go to. It, I just said, I can't make the decision based on 
you know, what's the repercussions? I just, it's not good for me right now. So I had to leave. And that was hard because, you know, great roles like that don't come around all the time. And so I, I wanted to take a complete sea change. I had no idea what I was going to do. Took a little bit of a break. And then this opportunity out of nowhere came to teach maths, <laughs> um, to teach uh, maths um, in, in Victoria, a whole bunch of schools, which I contracted. What It was small hours. I got to spend heaps of time with my kids, um, you know, pick them up from school. Um, it's the least, least money I'd made in 25 years, but it was it was wonderful. And the experience of working with kids was was so good. I, I was starting to feel, again, spiritually, you know, nurtured and reconnected back to my kind of real passions. And it was at that time where Charlie, who we'd worked together previously, contacted me and said, look, I don't know if you're interested because he assumed I was still at Microsoft, um, but I've got this idea of teaching kids and I couldn't say I'm in quick enough. <laughs> so. Wow. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And what what the question that comes to mind out of all of that, what you shared, Dion, is kind of this self-awareness that, that you you had, that you went from being this high-flying Microsoft executive, you know, having found yourself in a situation that so many of us, including myself, have found ourselves in when we attach all of our self-worth to that success. Um, and we find ourselves on this roller coaster ride. For me, that's what it felt like. When the highs were high, the lows were low, and when the low, when the lows were were there, we had to kind of manufacture a high, you know, because we were so desperate to seek some sort of validation that we we had value in the world because our value wasn't yet linked to who we were. It was all about you know the the successes as defined by corporate the corporate world, and and so. But yet you had the self-awareness to say yes to that job teaching math to kids because I, I often hear, you know, similar sort of stories where people get way, way off course, but it's rare to hear someone have the courage to say yes to such a radically different opportunity, which was clearly an opportunity far more aligned to your true calling as a teacher and someone who works with young people and demystifies. And of course it was the perfect stepping stone to the amazing work you do now, but take us back to that moment where that job opportunity was on the table for you that would take you from being a corporate executive at Microsoft to teaching kids maths. Like, was that a difficult decision to, to say yes to that opportunity? Well, it, it, actually, it, ironically, it it wasn't. You know, well, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. I'm going to give a real juxtaposed answer here. But um, on on one hand, I did love that job, and I loved the people I worked with. Um, it's a great organisation. They were a really mature organisation. Had really clear direction. Um, and the the customers I worked with were amazing. They were people that I'd worked with for you know fifteen years, a, a decade. And I think. For me, one of the things when we talk about authenticity and knowing who you are and, you know, through a lot of that time, you know, I was, I'm speaking about it quite clearly. It wasn't always very clear, even in that period when I made the decision. But what authenticity, I think, translates to is it means that you build trust with people, that you are who yourself. People know it. They're, you know, their bullshit detector goes off when you're not being yourself. And... In a corporate world, building trust is really important when you've got, you know, long-term commitment, confidential information, you know, which we used to handle a lot. 
And so I, I took that with a great lot of pride. But when I realized that I was I was doing things in my you know personal life or in other places that weren't trustworthy, is that's when the alarm bells went off and go, okay, hang on, who's this person? And you know, trust is a really interesting, it's a very interesting topic. And for me, it's not just like like lying about something. It was even about masking my own feelings, which I didn't at the time think was untrustworthy. I thought sometimes I was actually being noble, hiding my feelings, I might be really annoyed with a decision, but not, you know, personally or or, or um, business-wise, and not express it um, to protect, you know, antagonizing a situation. But of course, what it does is it builds resentment, number one. And I might you might not realize, but you you file it away in this little resentment bank that eventually overflows and it might come out in other ways. Um, but you're also never really solving. Um, an issue and what I realized is every time I did that I wasn't really representing who I was so I was giving someone else an impression that it was fine Um, and then later on when that resentment bank kind of overflows everyone would go well what are you talking about it's been fine for so long why is it an issue now Um, and I didn't realize that the cost that that kind of you know thinking had and again, when you know this this person that helped me out a lot told me that that was that was untrustworthy behavior, it shocked me because I was like, "Wow, my idea of you know being untrustworthy is like you know stealing from the till or something." But when I thought about this, it it really changed my mindset and it made me realize I'm so far away from who I want to be that I have to make a change. And so on that on that way, it, it became a lot easier. Wow. That, that is an incredible insight and you maybe you take it for granted because you, you've lived with that level of insight for a while, but I'm really still just processing what you just said because it's quite profound, this connection that you've made between the betrayal of or the masking of how you really feel, which, which we all do in, in corporate world, right? That's called towing the party line. That's called fitting in. Yeah. That's called not rocking the boat that's called being a good team player right (laughs) this masking suppressing of how we really feel um you've connected that um both with an inner experience that of resentment and the the unsustainability of of that pile of resentment that was building which i think is a great insight not i don't think i have connected that suppression of how I really feel with this build-up resentment until you just said that. But you've also connected it to how you appear in the eyes of others in in extent to which people trust you. And I think that was so, so interesting and so important that when, when, when we're with someone who's really grounded in who they are, what you see is what you get, it's almost like an energetic, I don't want to get too woo-woo, but you just, you feel, you just know, okay, this person in front of me is what I see is what I get. This is a, a man, a woman, a person who's grounded in who they really are and at peace with that. And and we get a certain energetic quality um, from those sorts of interactions with those sorts of people that's hard to even describe or maybe we're not even consciously aware of, but but you're so true in what you say that, well, that's that tells us, so this is someone I can trust because yeah. they seem to trust themselves. Um, they trust in their own feelings and 
they're not masking or hiding or suppressing or pretending to be something other than who they are and, and how they feel in this moment. It's it's a very subtle energetic thing. There's definitely so an energy in that. There's definitely an energy and I you know, I think there's probably some there's some science behind some of that, but you get a feeling with some people and largely that feeling is generally, you know, is on the money. Um and not I think one of the problems was but wanting to be a people pleaser, wanting to always serve someone um can spectacularly backfire as as it has for me again personally and and professionally um and you know a lot of these interactions you have i i agree that there is you know it ties into another quote i really love about the wisdom to know the difference there's there's always a time and a place for towing lines and i, I absolutely agree with that you can't always be up the person that upsets the apple cart um but there is um there there is there's times where i think it would have been better to express my feelings even if they you know in a sensitive way not, it's not about tearing things down all the time and um th then holding on to them and that's something i still struggle with to, to to be honest um depending on the situation i think i can do it professionally better than i can personally a lot of the time um but yeah it's it's that's just the work continues in that yeah. area. It's really, really tricky. I mean, I think that's one of the trickiest things of being authentic. You know, uh, you know, the modality that I use in my work is the modality that tells us we have a core self and then we have lots of parts. So in any situation, you know, there's part of us that might feel really resentful. There's part of us that might be terrified. There's part of us that's really angry. And, and so the work is really kind of this skillful inner acknowledgement of these different parts, the parts of me that wants to prove myself, you know, um, the skillful acknowledgement of these parts while staying tethered to our core self, because at our core, you know, we're all calm, confident, courageous, clear beings who are able to navigate tricky situations, you know, with confidence and clarity and compassion and patience, you know, all these qualities that we need to be able to hold all these opposing views um, and to be able to uh, exercise some level of discernment about how much we share about what's really going on inside of us and all of these ways that inside of us is so often so many conflicting perspectives, so much tension, so much push and pull. How how might we describe that in a way that's that's professional and authentic and, and navigate forward in a most authentically empowered way possible. I mean, that is the self, that's what I describe as self-leadership, which is really something that, that we, I think we continue to refine it through our, our entire lives. Well, it is. And, you know, if I think about a lot of what we're doing now, so for, for example, even with something like AI, there's an, there's a technical level to it. But underneath that, there is really, it's more of an ethical, um, you know, um, there's got an ethical layer first that we have to look at, which is now being largely talked about. But one of the things we do with kids, for example, is, and this comes a lot from my, and I'm very passionate about this part because it comes a lot from this experience we're just talking about, is we ask them always at the start of every session is to identify their feelings and how are you feeling? How can you express it? And we often or give out these um, emotion toys that you can turn inside out. And it starts off from kids saying, you know, happy or sad or good or bad. It's very black or white. 
And then as we do it more, and they're building their vocabulary, they're able to explain with more detail about how they're feeling. And now it they kind of fight to grab these things so they can express how they're feeling. And the idea of that is, you know, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others. And if we want to understand how to help other people and understand their feelings, you have to be in tune with yours first. And for a long time, I couldn't explain or articulate how I was feeling. Um, and I would, when you can't do that or you can't ask for help, you then let other people make decisions for you. And my experience is usually other people's decisions for you aren't always in your best interest. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong or, or purposely trying to harm you. Just, but no one should know you like you know yourself. And when that kind of er- erodes and you can't make those decisions for yourself, it, it's very tricky. And it's hard then to, you know, be a team player. It's hard to, um, to, to do all these other kind of things that are, are really important to be successful. So, so that's a lot of, lot of the part, a lot of that learning has really influenced what I'm doing now with a lot of the students. And it's something we start at a younger age because I think it's really important to develop these habits before your, um, all your actual habits and uh, idiosyncrasies are formed. Um, you know, we learn a lot through osmosis, through our parents, um, et cetera. Um, and so if we can help kids to form some of these, um, you know, habits, healthy habits for themselves and towards others, I think that precedes even the intellectual part of learning. Mm. It then helps helps the other learning a, a lot more. It makes the learning way more joyous um, when, when you're doing it. that. That's my experience anyway. I so agree with that. I, I think that's really such an important point and it strikes me as such um, a beautiful starting point for the the inner work because for those who are listening that perhaps were in our, the situations we were both in all those years ago in corporate land where we our whole identity was attached to this idea of being a successful business person, whatever that meant. A high for me, it was a high achieving, low maintenance contributor, you know. And the idea of not being that thing was so terrifying because I, if I wasn't a high achieving, low maintenance machine, then then who the heck am I? Um. So for those who are listening, who perhaps um tend to avoid looking inside you know I've met leaders who say to me Cassie I, I never look inside and you know sadly I think that's the case for many of us because if we were to pause and look inside and ask ourselves what am I feeling and why it can feel like taking the lid off a can of worms right that we've worked so hard to keep the lid on for decades yeah. um, but our feelings uh, you know, like these early early warning systems or warning systems that there's something's not right. There's an incongruence. And you know, I think your experience of noticing this buildup of resentment inside of you, I think is so there's a lot of courage even to to acknowledge that. I'm feeling resentful and having the courage to ask why, what is manufacturing this resentment within me? And and whilst at the same time having this awareness that that this buildup of resentment wasn't good for you, that it was becoming corrosive to your well-being, and it, that it couldn't continue there. So something had to happen so that the resentment wasn't continuing to be manufactured inside of you. And to find the courage to get curious about what that feeling was trying to tell you about, I mean, that's that's also extraordinary because 
often what people tend to do because it's easier is they try to numb the feeling. They'll, you know, go online and buy stuff they don't need. They'll zone out on Netflix. They'll drink wine. They'll do online gambling, whatever it is that to numb that feeling because often that feels like an easier alternative, right? Well, it, it does. And obviously that, that manifests in different people in different ways. And, you know, often, you know, it can be it can be substances, it can be people, places or things. So it could be, you know, validation from people. It could be um, wanting to people, people to like you as much as a material possession. And I was definitely motivated by lots of those things, you know, material as well. And, um, and when when you're feeling great and when things are good, it's easy to have perspective and to see things. It's when things are not so great. And again, that journey that I said I I, I only realized was the kind of roller coaster um, where I, I really started my first job, serious job was teaching at TAFE. It was was lecturing at TAFE. Um, my mum worked there. She got me, first of all, a, a job just overlooking exams. And so I started doing some some lecturing in, in computing while I was studying. Um, and then when I moved to Melbourne, started working you know with Intel and which was quite still had the t- a, a, an education element but it was different and then moving to um uh tick the tick group which is again really innovative the sustainability job then moving back to corporate world with, with Microsoft and then you know back here there's been this ping pong and when I think about some of my attitudes um my um how how I worked with people, my strengths and weaknesses in each of those roles. So, for example, at Tick Group, when things were great, we did um, an Enneagram with our whole team. We had a company come in. They did one. Um, and I shared my profile with everybody. And I highlighted not my strengths, but my weaknesses and said, look, if I display any of these, please call them out because obviously I'm blind to them. I need someone else to tell me. Um, and the irony of it was, is one of the negative things was I don't receive f- uh, bad feedback well. <laughs> so, so I wanted to challenge to challenge that. So again, when things are great, it's easy to have that awareness, the transparency. You know, you call it courage. It's not always courage. Sometimes things are forced upon you. You have to make a change. Um, it didn't feel particularly courageous a lot of the time. You know, at the time, but. Um, so, but yeah, you know, when things are more more challenging, that's you know again where having to have the resolve, the discipline, to be able to still make a change to do something, and and again it's that fine line between you know a lot of what you talk about is not having to change yourself, having the authenticity to be who you are, but that sometimes means um, having to stop things that I know are not good to nurture that person um, for myself. Um, so. So look, it, it is an ongoing journey and, it, and every stop along the way, there's always been, and again, you can look back in hindsight and see the things that may have been negative, even catastrophic at the time, have their silver linings. And, you know, it, my favourite quote of all time is the Leonard Cohen quote that's probably modified from um, from you know, other, other inspirations earlier, but uh, he sings, there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. And, you know, I think that that's about sums up how, how a lot of my experiences, well, the, the wisdom, I guess, has come from the light shining through those cracks. Mm, so true. 
And I think maybe the the final question, because I feel like there's so much ri uh, richness and wisdom in all that you shared, Dion. So perhaps the final question uh, I, I'd love to ask is, if you turn back the clock and you could kind of travel back in time to when you were at the peak of kind of this corporate career when, you know, you kind of said that you were being really driven by this idea of success and when the successes were coming, you are kind of manufacturing this success to get this high and you didn't have the same level of self-awareness about the resentment that was building in, the unintended consequence of not really feeling your feelings and masking some of those. If you could travel back in time knowing what you know about yourself now, you know, what words of wisdom might you might you share with your with your former self? Oh, what a great question. <laughs> so um I guess, you know, I I definitely tell myself, don't ever try to be the smartest person in the room. You know, it you are way less important than you think you are. Um, and spend more time listening than than telling. Um, because I think Again, you start to think that your success or your title or anything like that, um, any achievement starts to define who you are and your your importance. And I think that's really dangerous. And it actually blinds you to the opportunity to learn learn new things. And, you know, what, one of the greatest things that came out of working with Microsoft was they right right early on when we started um invested in creating your personal you know um value statement in who you are and you know Sachin Nadella the, the CEO who's regarded as a pretty smart dude his mission statement was two words which was always learn and i just thought that's fantastic when someone at that level who probably knows more than i'll ever accomplish <laughs> is still on this journey to always learn and listen first um you know, I think that's the advice I'd probably give myself. Whether I would have been open to listen to it, I think you have to sometimes hit the proverbial rock bottom to be able to accept the information. So I don't know if I would have listened, but I, I, I'd, I'd plead a pretty compelling case. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, you know, that wisdom that you just shared with your former self is fully congruent with what what I've been taught in the model uh, that underpins my work, which says at our core, you know, we have all these qualities and what the research would say that when we feel adrift from who we really are, when we feel like we're, we've spent so long pretending to be someone we're not trying to prove ourselves or be successful or do all the things we think we need to do in order to be enough when we are kind of caught in that cycle, the the first thread that we can pull back to who we really are is a thread of curiosity. The research would say of all the qualities of our core self, curiosity is the one we can always reach for, even in our darkest hours. Um, and so I love that your answer was so congruent with that. What can I learn? How can I listen? How can I just be open? How can I remind myself that I don't have all the answers and nor do I need to? Um, that's fully congruent with with the model that underpins my work that when we're really stuck, reach for curiosity and it will lead us back to the other qualities that really uh, define who we really, really are at our core beneath all the proving and striving and perfecting and pleasing and fitting in. 
um, curiosity is a thread we can always pull. I, I do love that. And I think I've often, you know, in those low moments, forgot about that curiosity. And in fact, if I just realized that that we talked about courage. Um, so the the statement, my personal, you know, value statement that I honed over time, actually um part of it is um learn with courage and wonder. And it's the idea that um, you know, be afraid and do it anyway. Um and because that's where growth comes. And and the wonder is the curiosity. Never stop looking at things like through the eyes of a child, because you know, we we just miss so much and we're told we should do things one way um doesn't doesn't mean it has to be that way <laughs> beautiful learn with courage and wonder i love that and, and when you shared before that when i described some of the decisions you made as as courageous and you said it didn't feel like that it never feels like courage on the inside does it <laughs> you're always like so scared on the inside what looks look in others what what appears as courage is often on the inside a very different experience but but nonetheless, I think you have been a leader who's taken some really courageous steps. And and most mostly I think what strikes me from the story is having the courage to do the inner work, to, to look within, to tune into these feelings and to be curious about why, where they were coming from and why, and to find a career path that's really congruent with who you are at your core and to therefore be able to show up as a person in the world that's just what you see is what you get. You you know, I think you strike me as a very authentic leader who's on a, a an incredibly inspired mission to make uh, the world better through all the great work you're doing with young people. And I just want to say, above of all the parents in Australia, thank you for what you do, Dion. Uh, I think it's extraordinary and I, I'll hope that a lot of the listeners will check out your website and think about getting their kids along to one of your amazing programs. Thanks a lot, um, uh, Cassandra. It, it, it's very exciting um, and I guess part of the the journey is has led me to meet people like yourself, right, which I think that's, again, the the, the key part is connecting with other people. And they're amazing listening to the amazing stories of anybody, everyone's got some wisdom to, to share. I, I just think that's excite really exciting. So, you know, thanks for allowing me to share some of it with you. Thank you so much, Dion. I've loved our conversation. So just tell everyone what's your website if they're curious to learn more about AI Cubed, where should they go? No problem. So we do have a website. It's um AIcubed.academy and um, uh, sorry, it's AI, AI3.academy, um, um, our abbreviated name. Um, and it, it's very basic. We we work through um, attraction, not promotion. So a lot of our work comes from referrals, but there is definitely a contact um, details. We do free trials. So, you know, any kids between, you know, the ages of, of um, seven to seven to kind of 14 is a real, you know, key area. Um, we'd love to love to come and see you. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Dion. I'm sure our listeners will get a lot of out of all that you shared today. Uh, and I look forward to talking again soon over coffee. Thank you very much. Me too. Take care. Thanks, Dion. By being true to our deepest selves, we liberate our highest potential and serve the greatest good. 
As the founder of the Center for Self-Fidelity, I am on a mission to help leaders feel more authentically empowered so we can co-create workspaces where people can thrive, perform, play and belong. Learn more at selffidelity.com.